0: Persecution has been part of the body of Christ since day one, and it manifests itself even in the American church today. How did the founding fathers of the church in the first century handle persecution, and what effect did it have on the outreach of the gospel? Turn to Acts chapter 13, verses 44 and following. And let's rejoin Paul and Barnabas in Antioch of Pisidia, where after the entire city shows up to hear them preach, they get thrown out. Moldova. It's a small country to the northeast of Romania. And it kind of goes back and forth. It was part of Romania. It's south of the Ukraine. And it was part of the old Soviet Union. In fact, in 1959... Ivan—I uh, try to get the name pronounced right. Savchenko. He was a failed KGB agent. He failed up in Moscow, so they sent him to the backwater of the Soviet Union, which is way down this little country called Moldova. He arrived in Chișinău, which is the capital of Moldova, and his job was to eradicate Christianity. And he started to proceed to do that. He demolished churches and monasteries. He built theaters all over the land. In fact, I had the opportunity on Thursday to hear from Nelu Manaseo. And he is a Moldovan. And Nelu shared with us how there was a large theater that was built in Chesnu. He also shared how they took all the believers that were into farming, any of you that are into agriculture, they put you on collective farms, and the believers started sharing the gospel like Jesus died for sins, Jesus rose again. They were so effective that everybody on these collective farms was becoming believers. So they decided they needed to isolate them, so they put them with alcoholics and old people that were too weak to get the job done. Well, the power of the gospel was so strong that those parts of the collective farms became the most productive part of the farming system in Moldova. They also did that in factories. You had large collective factories, and they said, we need to stop these believers from sharing, and the people, it'd be like having the steel plant here, have it all collective But they said we need to shut down these believers and the leaders of these plants were saying you can't shut down these plants because it's the believers that don't lie. It's the believers that don't steal all the equipment. It's the believers that get the job done. And now shared with us how under the tremendous persecution, that persecution can be tough and scary, but it's purifying. Well, what about the United States? Like, is persecution ever going to come in the United States? Here was Khrushchev back in 1959 saying, in fact, Nello said that Khrushchev predicted that in the late 80s they would have like a TV broadcast and they would interview the very last born-again believer, the last Christian in all the Soviet Union. So the persecution was intense. The largest state, in that area of the world, that was during the Cold War, it was our big enemy. They had their stated goal to snuff out believers like you and believers like me. What about here in the United States? If you've been following the news in uh, New York, in New York City, Mayor Blumberg said he really defended his city government's choice to make it illegal for churches to meet in the schools of New York. In spite of the fact of since Pioneer Days, churches have met in schools and schools have met in churches. In fact, how many of you have ever voted in a church? Probably all of you have. It's just part of the tradition. But Mayor Blumberg said that we're powerfully defending the First Amendment that states that the government shall make low laws respecting religion nor denying the free exercise thereof and to keep that really strong separation of church and state What's going to happen? Anybody ever wonder what in the world's going to happen? Well, in the book of Acts, if you turn to Acts chapter 13, we can go back in time in a time machine and find out a time when there was tremendous persecution against believers. What should believers do when there's persecution? How should we feel about it? And how is it going to affect the outreach of the gospel? In Acts chapter 13, verse 44, we pick Paul up, the apostle Paul and his sidekick Barnabas, And what we're going to have is the showdown in the synagogue. As good Texans, you know all about showdowns. How many of you like the classic Western station? Every classic Western builds towards a climax. And the climax, whether it's the good, bad, and the ugly, or whether it's wider, the climax is the showdown. It's when they all stand. Sometimes it's the bad guy against the good guy. In Wyatt Earp, it's about four good guys against about six or seven bad guys at the fight in the O.K. Corral. And that's the big climax. You've all seen it. They slow the camera down, put the camera up on the holster, and you wait for everything to explode. Well, that's what Dr. Luke has done. He's given us a week the Apostle Paul presented the good news just like Peter did at Pentecost. If you want to know what the Apostle Paul said in the first century when he went into a new city, especially speaking in the Jewish synagogue, you can learn that in Acts chapter 13. A week went by and everyone's been gossiping about the gospel all week long. There's this powerful people movement. You pick it up in verse 44 of Acts chapter 13. It says, on the next Sabbath. So this is the next Saturday. Remember, Jews worship on the Sabbath, the seventh day. It says on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered together to hear the word of the Lord. That's the power of the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. And in this context, in the city of Antioch, which is now in modern-day Turkey, the spirit was moving. And the entire city was interested to come out to hear the word of the Lord. So they packed out this synagogue. One of the things we want to pray is that the Lord will help the Word of God to powerfully go out from us. That we'll be sharing that good news. That we'll believing, we'll be believing its effectiveness. That we'll be encouraged. Part of our gathering together here this morning is to do that. Now, the city gathers to hear the Word of the Lord. Things are, how do you feel about the package so, so far? Exciting. Good. Aren't you excited? The whole city, what's going to happen? It says when the Jews saw the crowd, now these would be the Jewish leaders. You need to be really careful. Remember, Paul and Barnabas are Jews, so we want to be really careful not to make it anti Semitic, but I want you to know that it's historically true that in the first century that it was the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, that were in Jerusalem, and then the leaders that were the leaders of the synagogue. Throughout what was called the Diaspora, you had leaders of the synagogue all over the Roman world. And that's where Christianity began. Christianity began as this movement within Judaism. Where does the persecution come from? Not from Khrushchev, you know, not from a KGB agent, but in the first century, it came from the Jewish leaders in the synagogue. And I want you to see what the motivation is. It says, when the Jews saw the crowds... They saw all kinds of people coming to hear Paul and Barnabas. What happened inside of them? They became jealous. The opposition of the gospel, you think about the rejection of the gospel, one of the reasons that Lord Jesus, through Dr. Luke is telling us, one of the reasons that the gospel is objected to is because of jealousy. And the jealousy is stemming from these religious leaders start to see we're going to lose our power. We're going to lose our influence. So as the Holy Spirit starts to move, they're going to do everything they can because they're jealous of that. What do they do? It says that they slander. They're jealous and they talk abusively against what the Apostle Paul was saying. The idea here is that they start to slander the Apostle Paul and Barnabas. They start to tell lies about them. And they also speak against the message that they're giving. The Apostle Paul presented the idea that when you look at the Jewish scriptures, it's pregnant with the hope of a great son of David that's going to come. The Jews are saying, no, the Messiah hasn't come yet. Jesus was not the Messiah. He did not bring about a conquering of the Romans. He did not bring about the temple and the purification of the temple in Jerusalem. And throughout Judaism, thousands of Jews said, no, Jesus is a blasphemer. You live 2,000 years later, and that's the big division. You have one group that said the Old Testament is saying, like I taught you the last time we were together, the Old Testament is saying, the Jewish scriptures is saying that you get to heaven by being religious, especially by obeying the laws of Moses. And what This group of Jews did is they took the rabbinic teaching about the Torah, about the law of Moses, and they started to build all kind of traditions around it. That became the Talmud. So if you go to Jerusalem today, if you're by the Wailing Wall, you can go underneath the Wailing Wall and you'll see all kinds of yeshivas. Those are Jewish schools. And you'll see a bunch of young men gathered together around a Rav and they'll be studying the Talmud. Because salvation is in living out the merciful commands of God. And I want you to understand that that conflict began here. If If I was a Jewish rabbi here the story would be completely different. Paul and Barnabas would be the bad guys. And these Jewish leaders, I wouldn't say they were jealous. I would say they were jealous for the law. And you need to understand that those are big divisions. I've chosen to believe that the Apostle Paul and Barnabas were the ones that got it right. And that I need to be careful that I listen to what God's word is saying. This morning, as we sit here together, listening to God's word, you need to ask yourself. Is there jealousy in my heart? Am I blocking the gifts of others? Am I excited about what God is doing in other groups and in other Bible studies or in other churches or in other parts of the body of Christ? How do I respond to that? That's what Dr. Luke wants us to think about. Jealousy in the body of Christ tears the work of God apart. And the book of Acts is saying that was what caused people in the first century, the religious leaders, to reject the truth of God. As I speak to you this morning, you have an open heart or you have a closed heart. I'm the same way. I can have a closed heart that's filled with myself and become jealous of, the, of what's going on as I see other things packed and God moving in other ways. That relates to all kinds of areas. And Dr. Luke is telling us one of the original sources of persecution was jealousy. What's going to happen to this? How how do you respond to this? What do you do when you're faced with that kind of jealousy? Look what Paul and Barnabas do. It says, when Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, so they had tremendous strength in verse 46, they said, we had to speak the word of God to you first. The Old Testament said salvation was of the Jews. In the first century... The Jews needed to be given the opportunity to believe the gospel. One of the the strongest missions in Jesus' first century life ministry. From about 30 to 33, Jesus is presenting the gospel almost exclusively to Jewish people. He came to his own, but his own received him not. And that's one of the realities that as you go out to talk to people, that you present the gospel. You need to understand as you present the gospel to family members, as you present the gospel to friends, as you present the gospel in new situations you're coming to, there can be jealousy. There also can be a hardened rejection. The book of Acts, it doesn't just tell a story where everybody responds. It tells really very hard, realistic stories about what happens. And in this case, the Jewish leaders of the synagogue said, we don't want to have anything to do with what Paul and Barnabas are doing. And they start opposing it. And Paul and Barnabas say that this is a fulfillment. Look what they say. We are to speak the word of God to you first. I believe that that's still true today. We need to keep working hard to get the gospel to Jewish people. And that's why through the years, I I challenge you to support things like chosen people's ministry, Jews for Jesus, Ariel. There's all kinds of movements like in Israel today. There's underground Messianic Jewish movements that are believing that Yeshua is the Messiah. As a church family, though we're in a culture in Midlothian where there aren't a lot of Jews, we need to realize that we, in Dallas there's, a, there's quite a few Jews. We need to realize that when we're traveling that we come in contact with Jews, and we need to realize that they are God's physical chosen people. Jesus was Jewish. And so we bring the gospel to the Jew first, And then also to the Greek. Aren't you glad the Lord added that? Look what it says here. We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. So who was responsible for rejecting the word of God? Were the Jewish leaders that opposed Paul? What did Luke just tell you? Did Paul present the good news to the Jewish leaders in the synagogue of Antioch of Pisidia? Yes. Did they have an opportunity to believe it? Could they have believed it? Did some of them believe it? Why does Dr. Luke say they rejected it? Notice what he says. It says you rejected it and you do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. This is very important. Dr. Luke is just saying that when you talk to people, it's decision time. And what Dr. Luke is telling you, that they reject because they consider themselves not worthy of eternal life. This is heavy on human responsibility. And I want you to see it right in the text. Then the Apostle Paul says, since you rejected, it now, this was a fulfillment of prophecy. So it says you just irresponsibly, but responsibly chose to reject, but you didn't escape God's story. Because God predicted way back in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, it says, I made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Where the When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and they honored the word of the Lord and all who were appointed for eternal life believe. Now, all who were appointed for eternal life believed. Where does that focus go? On God. Now, in your Christian life as a believer, one of the things that's going to happen is you're going to have big discussions in small groups in Sunday school. All that were appointed for eternal life believed. The Bible is crystal clear. Does God know who will believe? Does he predestinate those who believe? In fact, Ephesians 1 will say, those who meet for know, those he predestinate, to be conformed to the image of his son. The Bible is very strong that God knows. And he predestined. But it's also. as strong On the verses before this. Dr. Luke said. They rejected. Because they weren't appointed. Is that what Dr. Luke said? Did Dr. Luke say. It was already in the plan. So it made very little difference. Whether Paul presented the gospel. In the church of Antioch or not. No. And brethren and sisters. This is a very important thing. You need to keep your responsibility as a human being and the choices you make and the importance of those choices and the power of God's plan. One thing that might help you is that we all think about time linearly. And the problem we get into is we picture God in an eternity past in a rocking chair like an old man And he looks forward through time, and he sees some that are predestined for eternal life because he works in his grace to bring them into faith, like all those in the synagogue of Antioch. He also chooses some to be reprobate, some to go to hell, which, by the way, the Bible doesn't quite ever say. It's always hesitant. I can trace your predestination to eternal life all the way back to eternity past. I can't do that nearly as clearly about the opposite of that, which all of you mathematicians and engineers are going to want. If God predestined to eternal life, then automatically he predestines some to eternal death. That is a thoroughgoing, you want to put a name on it, Calvinism. And it leads to God becoming the author of evil. And I want you to be really careful of that because the story is much bigger than that. All I can just say is, That God is above time. He doesn't just rock in eternity past. Things aren't just totally linear to him. You have a God that's so big, he's above time. He can see the future. He rocks in the future. He rocks in the present. He rocks in the past. He's above time. He enters into time, but he's above time. And what that means is that he not only knows what is going to happen, he also knows what could have happened. Like Jesus will say things like this. If the miracles would have been done in Sodom and Gomorrah like he did in Capernaum, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. So God not only knows what he's determined, knows what's going to happen, he knows every possibility. And all I want you to open your heart to is that we need to be really careful to keep listening to God. Because what I've learned in teaching the Bible for many years, it always keeps divine sovereignty and human responsibility together. And there's a tension in that. And it's important for your life with the Lord that you keep both of those things clearly before you. And this is a text that does it very strongly. What it means is you can be really confident when you present the gospel that there are those that are appointed for eternal life and they're going to respond. When you trust Christ as your Savior, how many of you ever say, Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that I believe in you and I had so much grace in my life to be able to believe in you because I'm a special person. How many of you ever pray like that? No, all of you pray things like, Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for choosing me. Thank you for moving in my heart. You pray good theology. But you know what? None of you were saved until you believed. And you are responsible for that choice. And a great mystery of the dance of human responsibility and sovereignty. What's going to happen? The gospel is going to go forward, just like Isaiah said. It says the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. But the Jews incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from the region. I want you to understand. Some of you, like some of you, I want some of you, ladies. I want you to understand your influence. This is the first century. Remember the chauvinistic first century. Did you notice leading who? Do you realize that in every town there are leading women? There's leading women in Midlothian. You say who are those leading women? They're the women that all the men listen to. What the hatch you has them. Middle-earthian has them, Mansfield has them, Antioch and have them. In this context, these were God-fearing, very powerful women. A lot of them were probably the wives of the Jewish leaders. And then they also had friends that were the wives of the Gentile Roman leaders that were over the city. And in this context, the religious highfalutin women got their powerful husbands to turn against Paul and Barnabas. Does that sound pretty realistic? If you've never experienced that in life, why well, I want you to know that in Midlothian, I've been in situations where the government was involved, where high, powerful women saved the day and made it possible for churches to save a lot of money because they had influence. So I want all of you ladies to know if the Lord calls you to go into politics, I also want you to know that even as a wife, you have incredible influence in the first centuries recognizing that. I want you to realize in this church and in Midlothian and in your towns, you ladies can have incredible influence for good. But I also want you to realize you can have incredible influence for evil. Because that's what this text is telling us. There were powerful women that turned against Paul and Barnabas. They got the leader of the city and they threw Paul and Barnabas out. And Paul and Barnabas, how did they respond? They shake the dust off their feet. It says, so they shook the dust off their feet. Where do you think they got that from? That's what Jesus told them to do. If a city doesn't receive you, shake the dust off your feet and... They went on into Iconium, and that moves to the next chapter when they go. They're going to go to Lystra and Derby, and we're going to continue that story. It says, but the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So the apostles leave, but the work of God continues. I want you to be powerfully encouraged. When Paul and Barnabas left Antioch, did it look like a good time? Did it look like God had won? It could have been a really discouraging time, couldn't it? But you know what? It says that the disciples they left behind were filled with joy and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Lord more and more began to work in Asia by the second century Ephesus and Sardis and Smyrna. All the seven churches of the book of Revelation are all in this relative vicinity. And the gospel exploded. We're going to find out later on in the book of Acts that the apostle Paul came, out in Ephesus. The gospel exploded all over the region. What this text is saying, that as you present the gospel to your friends, as you present the gospel to your family members, as you realize that sometimes I'm going to have people that lie about me and are jealous, but I'm also going to have people that respond to me And it's all part of God's incredible plan. And that's what keeps us going. This incredible, wondrous light to the Gentiles is going to go on. So what happened in Moldova? Nalu, who is now the first Moldovan seminary student at Dallas Seminary, told us on Thursday that, remember that theater that Ivan built to show these terrible propaganda communist films? It's in the heart of Shesano. That's now a church. And it wasn't the last Believer, anybody know what happened in the late 80s, early 90s? That's when communism fell. Jesus, one, Khrushchev, zero. And the body of Christ keeps reaching out and touching light. The gates of hell are not going to prevail against what the Apostle Paul and Barnabas were teaching us about. In the end, our precious Savior... It's King of Kings and Lord of Lords.